0: All right. well we're getting back at it. We had the uh, Team Extreme people here last week, but now we're back at our regular schedule uh, for a little while anyway. We've got Christmas Eve coming up, so uh, Christmas Eve is a Saturday, Christmas Day is a Sunday. So Christmas Eve we'll be having the 4.30 and the 6.30 service, but on Sunday morning we'll be giving all our volunteers the morning off. So there will be no Sunday morning services here on Christmas morning. Um, but there are various services around the community. I asked different churches what they were doing. About half are canceling Sunday morning and about half are still doing stuff. So lots of opportunities to, if you really, really want to go out on Sunday morning, Christmas Day, uh, there are opportunities around the community. But we're going to continue our series that we started two weeks ago, uh, which was called The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached, talking about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, enters into his ministry. John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. John gets put in prison. Jesus continues preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus does all kinds of miracles and healings and deliverances and and gathers these huge crowds. And then he sits down on a mountainside and teaches them. And this is the sermon that we're going over. Uh, And it's going to take us several weeks to work through the things that Jesus had to say. Last time we talked about the Beatitudes. Which, uh, you know, it's blessed be the the humble for they shall inherit the earth. And all these sorts of things. And and the idea behind the Beatitudes is, is twofold. First of all. Jesus is explaining the type of character he wants us to have as individuals as we follow him. And he's also exclaiming some of the things that are happening behind the scenes for those who have that type of character. And so through the Beatitudes, Jesus is encouraging people and also uh, telling them what he's looking for in Christian character. So Jesus is looking for humble, gentle, merciful, pure peacemakers who hunger and thirst for God's ways, and who will persevere when other people don't understand them. And then Jesus said, You are the salt uh, of the world, salt of the earth, and the light of the world. So you and I, we are called the salt and the, the light. We are to preserve the truth of God's ways In this world. So we preserve the truth of God, we preserve the ways of God. The culture, the world, every culture, every uh, society tends to stray from God. Jesus calls his followers to preserve the truth of God even when society slips away, and preserve the ways of God when society slips away. And then Jesus called everyone to a higher standard. Let's read a couple verses from two weeks ago, and then we'll get into new material. Matthew 5.17 and Matthew 5.20. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So did Jesus come to take away the Ten Commandments? No, He came to fulfill the Ten Commandments. In verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So basically, if Jesus was speaking today, what he would say is, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the pastors and the Bible school teachers, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. You're going to have to do better than the religious elite. Okay, so he's raising the bar. Uh, We talked a little bit about what that meant a couple weeks ago, but we're going to get into it deeper today. So let's pray and we'll get into new material this morning. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you don't leave us to wander around, just do the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit and you guide us by your word. But help us to see what we've got today in these great words recorded from that sermon so long ago. Lord, the amazing, amazing truths that you spoke. Let us grab hold of them firmly and understand them as best we can. And Lord, I pray that you would touch each one of us. Lord, we all come in here with different needs. We're fighting different battles. We're in the middle of different struggles and So Lord, I pray that you would touch each one of us with what we need so that we can believe in you a little better, so that we can serve you better, bear more fruit for your kingdom. So Lord, bless this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So, Jesus did not come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it. And we're going to talk about Jesus and how he fulfills the commandment, thou shalt not murder. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus deals with various commandments and he brings them to the next level. He explains how is it that your righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And so um, let's look at how Jesus raises the bar and fulfills this. Matthew chapter 5 verse. We'll read 21 through 26. Then we'll talk about those kind of verse by verse and deal with everything in chapter 5 that has to do with that particular commandment. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you. So, here's the deal. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament, the Law of Moses, from the stones that Moses brought down off the mountain. And he's saying, you've heard that it was said this, but I tell you. That's, that's amazing stuff. That's Messiah type talk. You know, like if I say, well, the Bible says this, but I tell you. Then what should your response be? Nice knowing you. Right. (laughs) I'll see you later. That's what your response should be. But Jesus says, you've heard it was said, don't murder. But I got something more to tell you. And so let's see what he has to say. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. So he's raising the bar. He's saying now it's it's one thing to refrain from murdering someone. That's good. But now you've got to get the murderous heart out of you. He says, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. That's a high bar. Again, anyone who says to his brother, "Rakah," which is some Aramaic term of contempt. I don't know what the proper, you know, some sort of insult. Is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Very strong. "'Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar "'and there remember that your brother "'has something against you, "'leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, "'then come and offer your gift. "'Settle matters quickly with your adversary "'who is taking you to court. "'Do it while you are still with him on the way, "'or he may hand you over to the judge, "'and the judge may hand you over to the officer, "'and you may be thrown into prison.' I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So let's work through this kind of verse by verse. Let's read 21 and 22 again. Verses 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So Jesus is very serious about this. Would you agree? Anyone who says, you fool, is in danger of the fire of hell. He's getting their attention. He has demonstrated his power through incredible miracles. And now he's saying, just refraining from murdering is not sufficient. You have to not be angry. You can't insult people. And if you call your brother a fool, you might just be done. That's very, very strong. Having fun? It's going to be be a good morning. (laughs) All right. This is not just uh, a one time thing. This is in the scriptures. In uh, 1 John chapter 4, John talks about the same basic idea about. Our connection with God and our connection with people, and how we need to see things. John says in 1 John 4: if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. How many theology degrees do you have to have to be able to properly interpret this verse? Zero. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command: Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, what's going on here? How do we interpret this? How do we understand this? Because uh, I am not a big fan of you know the the primary Christian strategy for. Doing the things of God, which is just feel more guilty and just try harder. That doesn't really work very well. You know, feeling guilty and trying harder isn't where it's at. What we need is revelation from God to understand how we can actually do this. We need power from God and revelation from God. So when Jesus is saying, don't be angry, what is he saying? Well, what he's really saying is that, We are called to see people how God sees people. We aren't to be in our little circumstances and be mad at the person who has too many items in the Walmart line because we're in a hurry. But we're to see things from a bigger perspective, see people from God's perspective, not from our perspective. So when we start to see people from God's perspective, we start having compassion and mercy and love towards people instead of being angry with them and elbowing them out of the way so we can get what we want. To love God is to love God's ways. And God's ways are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, to love those, our neighbor, just the people out in the world. And as we'll get to Towards the end of this sermon, even to love our enemies. And it starts by beginning to see people from God's perspective. Let's go to Luke chapter 23. Sometimes this seeing people from God's perspective goes very, very far. Jesus walked the walk. He didn't just make strong demands of people and then just sit back and do nothing. He said strong things and he walked right into the storm and led the way for all of us. We pick up in Luke 23, on the day of the crucifixion. and Here's what it says in these couple of verses. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Have you ever had people hate you because you were doing the right thing? Jesus was doing the right thing. He had never sinned. He loved everyone, even if he corrected them. And yet... He was arrested. He was tried. He was beaten. He was forced to carry the cross. Now he's crucified. It's in the middle of the assault on him as a person. What's his frame of mind? How does he see these people who are hurting him? Verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. In the middle of the assault... His heart did not turn dark. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm sure if they understood this more, they wouldn't be doing this. Father, forgive them. Jesus raised the bar, but he lived it out in amazing, amazing ways. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. So here, it doesn't mean that someone has something against you without cause, that somebody just doesn't like you, that sort of a thing. This means that you have actually wronged someone and it's just sort of sitting out there. You've done something wrong, your brother has something against you. You've, You've wronged someone, you said something you shouldn't say, whatever it is, and it's just sitting there. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. So Jesus is saying, you're in the worship service. The song is going on. You're raising your hands and you're just worshiping God. And then you realize, oops, I've wronged this person. He's saying, Leave your coat at, the, at your chair, <laughs> leave your purse, go whatever, go fix it, then come back. Fix it first. Interesting. Now this, I believe, is with the assumption that you already have a relationship with God. Now if you just have a messed up life and you need to get saved and give your life to Christ, do that first and then start fixing stuff. But if you're a follower of Christ and you're trying to engage in the things of God and connect with God and you've got these wrongs that you've committed sitting out there, it's going to hinder your capacity to connect with God. So you've got to fix that stuff. Then you can engage the Lord. So, here's the point with this. Religious observance can't make up for a dark heart. If you've done wrong things, you've done these things to these people, you've exploited that person, you've, uh, you know, you've wronged this person, and you just figure, well, if I sing louder and I give more in the offering, it's going to make up for it. God is smarter than that. Religious observance will not make up for a dark heart. If this goes to an extreme, God's actually disgusted by it. If we want to uh, do bad things, hurt people, and, and do damage in this world, and then try to make up for it by extravagant religious uh, connections, religious observance, God is actually disgusted by it. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 1, starting in verse 10. Amazing stuff, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, listen to the law of God, you people of Gomorrah. Now it's important to recognize here that the that Isaiah you know is speaking the words of God not to Sodom and Gomorrah, but to Israel, but he's calling them Sodom and Gomorrah, you know so he's he's saying, hey you you think you're all that, you're not, so he's it's insulting them. Verse 11. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Did God tell them to bring these types of sacrifices? Absolutely. And he says, What do you think? I'm short of animals? Why do you think I asked you to bring these things? <laughs> Not because I'm short. Why, why does God ask us to serve him? Because he has some, some kind of lack. It's not that he has lack. He wants to engage our hearts. And yet, these people were trying to make up for their dark hearts through religious observance. And that's not how it works. Verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. It's one of the biggest insults. That, you know, here you are. Stomping all over the sanctuary. Verse 13. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festival and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So here we see what's going on. They're trying to make up for the evil they're doing by religious observance. And God's not buying it. You're saying you're following me, you're saying you're walking in God's ways, and you're just doing religious observance so that you can continue to do evil in this world and ease your conscience? It's like, God's way smarter than that. Your hands are full of blood. Verse 16 Wash and make yourselves clean, take your evil deeds out of my sight, stop doing wrong, learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. People sometimes think that in the Old Testament, God was about the letter of the law. God was about the spirit of the law, even in the Old Testament. He's just trying to help them out by giving them specific things to do. Some action steps. But he still wanted their hearts. And he wants our hearts now. And so when Jesus says, If you're bringing an offering, it could be an offering of praise, whatever, and you know you've wronged somebody, go fix that. You can't make up for that by religious observance. You have to get your heart right. You have to do right by people. You can't make up for it with religious observance. Then let's go Matthew 5, 25 and 26. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus is uh, he's foreshadowing another teaching that he's going to do, but the basic idea behind these two verses is this. You be the one to initiate reconciliation. You be the one to step out. Fix the problem before you even get to court. You be the one who's the peacemaker. You initiate it. Don't wait for the other person. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, is this strong stuff? Yeah, it's going to get stronger. Everybody's going to need a hug. (laughs) But I tell you what, Jesus came to change the world. He didn't come to change the world by just saying stuff everybody already knew and flowery little nice things. He came to change the world, and he's telling us, he's telling them how to do it. So let's jump forward in the chapter. Uh, Jesus deals with the don't commit adultery and don't lie, and then kind of goes back to the don't murder part. So we'll cover the... Those two uh, in weeks to come. Now we're going to continue on with the murder. Don't, don't murder. Uh, Matthew five thirty-eight through 42 again talks about Old Testament truth. You have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. That's if he wants to take your shirt, give him your jacket. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks, for you, asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So here we see some amazing, iconic verses and phrases that are still in our culture today. You know, giving them the shirt off your back and going the extra mile and turning the other cheek. These are uh, colloquial phrases that Jesus spoke in a sermon 2,000 years ago that are still in our culture. What's he talking about with this turn the other cheek thing? I'll tell you. So... You know how some people read the Bible and they misinterpret it? I find this happens most in Ephesians chapter 5 with regards to husbands and wives. And how husbands are supposed to treat their wives and how wives are supposed to treat their husband. I find that to be probably the most misinterpreted New Testament Uh, section of scripture. And the problem primarily beyond, there's other things too, but is that the husbands read the stuff the wives are supposed to do and then get mad at the wives for not being just totally perfect with regards to that. And the wives read the stuff the husbands are supposed to do and then they get mad at the husbands for not doing the stuff they're supposed to do instead of the husbands reading the things the husbands are supposed to do and doing their best to do it. Uh, You know, people read the wrong thing. And I find a similar dynamic happens with this turn the other cheek thing. Because you've got people who just are naturally ashamed of how terrible they are. And they sort of walk around in a victim-enabler-doormat mentality. And they read turn the other cheek. And then they start feeling guilty for not being doormat enough and want to be more doormat. Is that what Jesus is saying here? You're not a doormat enough. You need to be abused more. No, that's not what he's saying. And then there's the user abuser types who are like, yeah, I need more people to go the extra mile with me. I need more people that if I slap one cheek, I can slap the other two and they still like me. This is awesome. That is also a misinterpretation of what is going on here. So what is Jesus trying to say with this turn the other cheek business? Let's read a couple extra verses so that we can uh, get our context here. Because Jesus did say, turn the other cheek. He did say, go the extra mile. He did say, hey, not just your shirt, but your jacket. He did say, give you know, to people that you wouldn't normally give to. Jesus also said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 6, Jesus also said, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. He's saying, don't be dumb about who you expose yourself to. They're just going to hurt you and they're not going to be any better off anyway. Don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. He's not saying be an enabler and be a doormat. Matthew 7.15. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So if you are in the presence of a false prophet, do you just keep turning the other cheek? Just keep going the extra mile. No, you watch out for them because they're the bad guys. And you don't want to just submit to them because Jesus said, go the extra mile. Also, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says this, not in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 10, 16. I am sending you you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Jesus said this to his disciples. He was sending out into the world to spread the message. He's saying, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Don't let yourself get taken advantage of. Be shrewd as snakes, but don't fight fire with fire. Don't fight evil with evil. You be innocent, but you know the score. Don't let yourself get taken advantage of. So, how do we blend all these things together? How do we blend, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give them the shirt off your back with, don't throw your pearls to pigs, and uh, you know watch out for false prophets and be shrewd as snakes. How do we blend all that together and get an accurate understanding instead of jumping in one ditch or the other? Here's what I believe what Jesus is saying with turn the other cheek. Jesus is saying... You be the one to stop the cycle of violence, darkness, and evil. When there's slapping going on, what do you want to do? You want to slap them back. And the Old Testament rule was don't go beyond what's been done to you. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, not life for eye. You know, don't go beyond. What Jesus is saying is, let's stop the cycle right now. You get slapped, you just stop it. It's escalating, you just be done. Sometimes when we are stopping the cycle of evil, stopping the cycle of abuse, stopping the cycle of darkness, sometimes we have to absorb some evil. Because it hits us and we want to retaliate, but instead we turn the other cheek. It's not about being a victim. It's about being the bigger person. In our divine strength in Christ, we can turn the other cheek because we are the stronger person. It's not about being a victim. It's about being the stronger person and stopping the cycle of darkness. You catching me? Jesus is not done. He's not done with get your heart right. Don't just refrain from murdering, but you've got some heart stuff to work out. He's not done yet. This is amazing. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? So earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says your righteousness needs to uh, go beyond that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You need to be at a higher standard than the religious elite. Now he's saying, and you'd better be at a higher standard than the world, than people who don't care about God, who don't answer to God. You'd better be at a higher standard than, than the tax collectors, And doesn't that make sense, that people who are following God, who are children of God, who are endeavoring to live God's ways, should live at a higher standard than people who do not answer to God? And so he's saying, even the worst of people, like people that help them, like people that like them, you like people who don't like you. Who are hurting you? You say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So you're called to a higher standard. Is this a high standard? Oh, man. I would say this is one of the most uh, unfollowed teachings of Christ. Christians have a tendency to love their own and demonize those outside their circles. What are you doing more than others? Next verse. (laughs) Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here's the deal. Jesus expects us to do this. You get to the end of the sermon. He says, if you do what I say, you're like a house built on a rock. When the storms come, you're going to be okay. If you don't do this, if you just hear it, understand it, and don't put it into practice, you do the normal Christian thing. You know what you're supposed to do, but you don't do it and just rely rely on the grace of God. Well, I'm not going to do it, but God still loves me anyway. He says, then your house is going to fall. He expects us to do this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's usually a, followed with a phrase like, well, good luck with that. <laughs> you know, how are we supposed to do this? We're going to need some help, right? We're going to need some help, which means it's probably a good time to pray. So I'm going to invite the prayer teams forward, and we're going to talk about, as they're, as they're coming forward, we're going to talk about how could we possibly make any headway In this command, be perfect. I mean, how do we even start? You know what I'm saying? I mean, seriously, if God actually expects us to make some progress with this, what are we supposed to do? There's got to be something that we can do. And again, the whole like, so feel guilty and grit your teeth and try harder, that's just not very effective. Sometimes you got to grit your teeth and make it happen. But just feeling guilty and like there's no way I can ever do that. I'm such a terrible person. It doesn't get us anywhere. It's not faith. What do we do? Here's how I see it. If we're going to make any progress with loving our enemies, if we're going to be able to Live out the fulfilled version of the commandment, do not murder, which is then see people as God sees them. Love not just your friends, but love your enemies. Be an advocate for those who are hurting you. If we're to get there and be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect, if we're going to stand up under a command like that, then we need to be standing on the right foundation. Be perfect. I know some ways we can start being perfect that you can do right now. And when I explain that, I want you to be able to grab hold of it. So I'm warning you ahead of time. Here are some ways you can be perfect, you can be perfectly forgiven completely, totally, perfectly forgiven. Embrace that. The blood of Christ is sufficient for you to be perfectly, totally, absolutely forgiven. You can be perfectly included and brought into the family of God. Not an outsider, not pushed to the side, not uh, marginalized, but a co-heir with Christ. Perfectly included. And, of course, you can be perfectly loved if you are willing to open yourself up to and surrender to the love of God. If we... Allow ourselves and believe in and trust in perfect forgiveness, perfect belonging, and being perfectly loved, we're going to be getting filled up with something. And when we get filled up with that thing, we can start to share it with others. But if we're feeling ashamed of who we are, we're feeling on the outside like nobody cares. We're feeling like nobody loves us. It's going to be hard to love your enemy because what well are you drawing from? But if I know I'm perfectly forgiven, perfectly included, perfectly loved, then I'm standing on a strong foundation. And if someone hurts me, it doesn't shake me. If someone takes advantage of me, it doesn't break me down. Because I'm standing on a firm foundation. And then I can share the love of God. Jesus said to his disciples in another situation, freely you have received, freely give. If we are going to love our enemies, we need to receive love first so we've got something to draw from. Freely receive. So this morning, we're going to pray I'm going to pray for the group as a whole. And we're going to pray to freely receive the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the belonging in the kingdom of God. To reject the lies of shame and like you're not good enough, like you don't belong, like God couldn't love you. We're going to reject all of that and we're going to receive the perfection of God's love. Then we've got something we can go with and try to share God's love with others, even people who are difficult. Then we're going to have personal prayer. I encourage you to come down and receive personal prayer. God wants to do things. We just need to give him opportunities. When we pray, it moves the hand of God. He set it up that way. Well, let's pray together first. See if we can't make some progress with the fulfillment of do not murder, which is love your enemy. Heavenly Father, when we read verses like be perfect, Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is perfect, we're not sure what to do. We want to follow you, but that seems, it seems too far. Lord, help us to freely receive so that we can freely give. Lord, I pray that each person in this place would freely receive with no hindrance, no blockage No wall, freely receive your forgiveness. That thing from 30 years ago, it washes away. That thought that keeps coming up, self condemnation, washes away. Lord, help us to see that we are perfectly included in your family, your sons and daughters, that. Nothing can pull us out of that inheritance. You wanted us to be your children, to graft us in, to adopt us in, and give us full rights of children. Help us to see that and stand on that as a foundation. And Lord, you did all these things because you love us. You know us. Each one of us here, you know us you love us anyway thank you lord for that perfect love thank you for that perfect adoption thank you for perfect forgiveness lord help us to fully receive those things so that when we are facing hard things in this life we've got a well to draw from a well of love a well of forgiveness a well of being included. Help us in that way that we may walk in your ways. They are mighty ways. They are great ways. But Lord, that's what you've called us to. So help us in that way. Father, I pray a blessing over each person that's in this place right now. Lord, I pray your peace would be upon us. Lord, that your joy would be in our heart and that your love would overflow through us into this world so that there would be no one who goes unloved. Bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.